Hi, I'm Duewa Frazier, and you're listening to episode 17 of Nerdacity Podcast. Thanks for listening. So today I'm going to talk about the Salt and Pepper biopic that was on Lifetime. It aired uh, this past Saturday, January 23rd. Did you see it? If you're a hip hop head or you just love Lifetime and you know, you're used to watching biopics, what did you think? Lifetime is known to show a lot of black celebrity uh, biopics and some people are not here for it. They say there's always some crucial things that are left out and including kind of making a mockery of the lives of some of these people. But I don't know exactly that that would be Lifetime's fault. Um, you know, with with all of these uh, films, you know, there's always a screenwriter. There are executive producers and various people involved in deciding what goes in and what stays out of these films, these biopics, including probably their the uh, artist's legal counsel and their families, I'm sure, have a say in what can be in it or, or not. Um, so I just wanted to kind of put that out there. I've been involved in some discussions online as to whether the biopic was good or not. You know, different people on Twitter and other social uh, networks had different comments saying, you know, uh, they didn't think it was realistic. They thought there were too many facts uh, left out. And we'll get to the kicker. Um, so here are my thoughts on the Salt and Pepper biopic. And, you know, let's chat a bit. I'd love to know what you think. So according to Variety, the film was executive produced by Robert Tittle, along with Queen Latifah, Cheryl Salt James, Sandra Peppa Denton, and Shakim Kamperi. The film was co-executive produced by James Jimmy Maines and Herbie Azer. The film's director was Mario Van Peoples, and we know Mario Van Peoples from being an actor and also a director of New Jack City, which is a very famous 90s, uh, you know, gangster film back in the day. And also uh, Mario Van Peoples is the son of the great uh, Melvin Van Peoples, actor, playwright, and and so forth. And um, so the Salt and Pepper biopic was written uh, by Abdul Williams. Blonde and two-tone, asymmetrical bobs, gold door knocker earrings, kente pattern hats, spandex bodysuits, and bright colored leather jackets with their names on them. This is, of course, the known brand image of salt and pepper. They are known to be energetic on stage, dancing, sexy choreography, strong voices that could battle rap any male rapper. So in my opinion, Salt and Peppa ushered in a new era of hip hop that showed women could be independent, fierce, and expressive, and dare I say, sexually confident, confident in their femininity without trying to be carbon copies of men. Salt and Peppa paved the way for the expressive, 
confident women in hip-hop and R&B, in my opinion, like artists such as Adina Howard, TLC, Lil' Kim, and Foxy Brown. Salt and Pepper rapped about sex amidst the rise of HIV-AIDS and calls for greater responsibility in terms of sexual relations among young adults, adults across all backgrounds. The film even showed a clip of NBA legend from Lakers fame, Magic Johnson, at a press conference telling the world that he was HIV positive. So if any of you remember that moment in history, it was huge to have this well-known star athlete like Magic Johnson telling the whole world that he was HIV positive. And so the film kind of showed a clip of Magic Johnson talking and the ladies had an idea about spreading awareness of that disease uh, during that time when they were, you know, writing so many different songs um, about for and about women. Um, and I like that the film placed this kind of message within it to show that Salt and Pepper were spreading health awareness for women and they were kind of ahead of their time in doing that. You know, they were really like, to me, socially conscious, similar to Queen Latifah, very much for women's empowerment, very much into men, but also for women's empowerment, being independent, being um, someone who can think on their own and those kind of things. So I always like Salt and Pepper for that. Um, so now let's talk about, you know, their album covers. Salt and Pepper's album covers are classics. They're remnants of hip hop's fantastic past, the fun, braggadocios aspects of hip hop where freestyling in a battle was respected. When hip hop was free of violence, free of drugs, free of exaggerated materialism, an era that is long gone, in my opinion. And, you know, this group emerged at a time when rappers were socially conscious, as I mentioned, and they were very much motivated to display the five elements of hip hop, the five known elements of hip hop's hip hop being the DJ, MCing, art, graffiti, b-boying, b-girling, knowledge, culture and overstanding in ways that are not always evident now. Now I will say that, you know, there is there are definitely a few rappers that really do say some positive things. I mean, back in the day, you know, we had Talib Kweli, we had Most Def, um, Common, um, you know, among the other rappers of, of generations past, we had, you know, uh, Karis One and um, artists like that. And so, you know, for today, I would say Kendrick Lamar um, and I guess, you know, whatever Talib Kweli's last works were and, uh, you know, Chance the Rapper and, and people like that that really have some positive things to say. But anyway, going back to Salt and Pepper, um, some hip hop historians might include fashion styling as a part of the culture element. Uh, and so think, you know, someone like a Dapper Dan from Harlem, who was always adapting sort of the high um, luxury uh, couture style and reworking it in the jackets and hats and things like that with the Gucci symbols and all of that for the hip hop generation. And I really feel like Salt and Pepper kind of represents that very well, that that 
known, colorful, sassy hip hop style. Okay, so that was just talking about their image and what they showed on their covers. So just an aside, I consider myself a hip hop head, um, not a historian, but someone who's written about hip hop. Um, I did a TED talk uh, in 2019 on hip hop education, how teachers can use um, hip hop scholarship and hip hop arts to infuse that in the classroom to teach social justice awareness. And also as a poet and performing artist um, through the years, I've always leaned on hip hop and also jazz as a performer and it certainly inspired me in my writing. Um, so I do wanna talk about salt and Peppa's lyricism. Salt and Peppa's voices were meant for hip hop music. Peppa had a raspy deep voice and Salt had, in my opinion, a more cutting higher pitch voice, but together they were complimentary and raw with their lyrics. Um, my favorite songs of theirs are not so much the really, really commercial ones, Obviously, Push It ranks because of its mainstream popularity, but there are definitely others that I feel showcases um, Salt and Peppa's really great MC skills, and it showed that they could go toe to toe and battle with the best of them. In the film, there is a scene where they're actually freestyling and battling, um, I believe, Dougie Fresh. So, you know, they knew all those people. They knew Kid and Play. They knew um, some other rap artists. They, they were working at Sears with Martin Lawrence. I mean, it was just like a whole generation of young talent that was, that was budding from, you know, Queens, New York and Brooklyn, New York. Um, so anyway, some of my favorite salt and pepper songs, and you might have to go back and, and check these out because these are not the more mainstream salt and pepper songs that we would hear in like the commercials and, and all of that. Um, but here it is. So my mic sounds nice, which I'm sure many people know. Assault with a Deadly Peppa. I always love that title. Get up, everybody get up. Solo power, expression, and tramp. Okay, so getting back to the film. And I do want to say that this piece, this podcast, my commentary right now is like a mix of what I appreciate, appreciate about Salt and Peppa as a group but also what I observe in the film and including, you know, some gaps, some questions that I still have, some things that other people might be thinking about in terms of, you know, what they were left thinking and feeling after they saw the film. Okay. So I'm kind of like including all of that in this, in this podcast. Okay. So getting back to the film, I had hoped and expected to see more of the inspiration behind many of salt and Peppa's albums and their hit songs. Um, certainly, you know, when they're showing their breakups, their disappointments with men, I mean, okay, if you're rapping about a man or your heart being broken or telling a man he's got to do this or do that. Okay. I do understand that, but there were other songs that you weren't quite sure, you know, what the inspiration was. Um, it seemed like Herbie Azer was doing a lot of writing for them. And that was um, Salt's boyfriend for several years when they started the group. So I really wanted to know more about how the ladies maybe wrote and, and, and produced some of their own songs and albums, because I'm sure that they, over time, based on what the film showed, they had a lot more autonomy and a lot more say 
in their uh, recording and management deals. And I'll talk more about that. So I also wanted to know more about their beginnings because we've never seen that on the big screen. We've never really seen their story fully, fully, fully play out. You've seen clips, you've seen them get awards, you've seen them on reality shows, but I mean, to really see it from beginning to present. I mean, it was like something I think a lot of us who are fans would really want to see. Um, so being a female writer of the hip hop generation, I've always closely followed women in hip hop. I mean, obviously from salt and pepper to queen Latifah, MC light, um, you had, you know, um, sweet tea, you had, uh, miss melody, you had yo-yo, you had Bahamadia, you had lady of rage. Um, so many wonderful art, you know, Lil Kim, Foxy Brown, and all of these women are different. They all, you know, hailed from different regions of the U.S. with their own style and their own swagger and their own uh, style of lyricism. Um, but what draws them uh, as a link is the legacy in hip hop and just that creativity and that genius of being performance artists. Um, so it's something I've always admired. Um, but in terms of Salt and Pepper, I like them not just for their sassy rhymes, but also, as I mentioned, their image, their fashion, um, their social consciousness, their ability to seem like sisters, even though they weren't blood related. And of course, their inclusion of a female DJ, Spinderella. And I'll talk more about that. Um, but there were few known female hip hop DJs in the 80s and 90s, as I can, you know, recall. I, um, in terms of what I've read and even tried to find information on, I know that DJ Jazzy Joyce was a known female DJ, very popular. She had her own recordings and she became um, one of the DJs out of that generation. Of, and of course, later Moni Love became a DJ on radio and Yo-Yo the rapper uh, who hails from California also became a DJ on radio. Um, so Salt and Peppa became their own crew. And when I say crew, I always thought of the hip hop crews, like, you know, the Cold Crush Brothers, Eric B and Rakim, you know, the Sugar Hill Gang, um, Public Enemy. Those were like the crews. It, crews. it was like, you know, several guys, a DJ, some of them were MCs, maybe some of them were dancers. You know, it was just like, I feel like Salt and Pepper was created similar to that. You know, you have the MCs and you also have the DJ. Um, so it was fitting that Salt and Pepper included uh, the DJ Spinderella, whose name is Deidre Roper. So in the film, the addition of the DJ Spinderella was Herbie Azer's idea. And again, that is uh, Salt's boyfriend. But I wondered how Salt and Peppa felt about that. In other words, the film, I mean, except for, you know, a little bit of eye rolling and like, a first meeting with either the first or the second Spinderella, I forget, because I think the first one was let go or she decided she didn't want to do it. Um, so then they brought in Deidre Roper. And, you know, I really feel like there was some shade from Salt, you know, because her boyfriend had a roving eye at that time. But we didn't quite see that storyline develop just yet. It really appeared like, okay, Herbie is just trying to make this group hot. He wants them to stand out. He wants them to be a hip hop force to be reckoned with, just like any of the other male uh, hip hop crews in the industry. So, you know, 
fitting them with a, a female DJ who's around their age, who has the same similar image and style as they do would be totally appropriate. But in the film, as I mentioned, it seemed like it didn't go over very well with salt, but we didn't get a whole lot of dialogue about that. And we certainly didn't really see any drama between the three of them. Um, so, uh, but Spinderella did perform on many, many shows throughout the years. You know, the last 28, 30 years of Salt and Pepper, we always know that Spinderella was their DJ and Spinderella was always on stage with them, touring, hyping it up, you know, even being a part of their choreography on stage, all of that. So we all as fans believe that, you know, of course, they're a natural trio. Spinderella been down with them for many, many years. So what I want to ask, and I'll continue to kind of bring this up through this commentary is, so where was Spinderella's, you know, full representation as an artist and as a woman, including her own, you know, storyline in the film, we didn't get a very large sense of that. And I think that, you know, not only was I uh, disappointed in that as a fan, but plenty of other people were as well. But I didn't want to just judge the biopic on that because I was still interested to see how the story of Salt and Peppa as the two artists grew and evolved. Okay. Um, all right. So, but you know, my question is how can you have an MC without a DJ? I mean, certainly you just can't. And we know that this is a group that had a DJ. So it was kind of surprising that the biopic did not give more room for Spinderella's contribution to this group. You know, some of the questions that I thought of while I was watching it are, uh, where did Spinderella come from? How did she talk? Did she contribute to writing rhymes with salt and pepper or not? You know, I had so many questions because, you know, in the film, it seemed like Spinderella was merely an afterthought. She was an extra on stage, just like any other girl with an asymmetri asymmetrical haircut and a colorful jacket in the film. I just, I really wanted to know more about her. I wanted to know what her interaction was within the group, mainly off stage. I mean, we know that everything is all cool and smiles and, you know, beat 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 with the with the bass and the turntable and all that but what was it like in terms of the personalities of the ladies and their friendship among the three of them okay so you know i question could it be that due to some distance among the trio in real life that spinderella wasn't more prominent in the film i don't know was it decisions made by the executive producers was it salt and pepper themselves um, did it have something to do with some type of legal situation or, or maybe, um, maybe the screenwriter or, and Mario Van Peoples maybe didn't quite feel that they had enough time to show the story of Spinderella. I mean, I really, you know, I really don't know. So people magazine, um, put out a story this past week. And they quoted Spinderella um, as saying she was definitely wrongfully excluded from the biopic. Um, it also mentioned that she was let go from the group in 2019. 
Um, and it does not state why. And I don't recall reading any kind of announcement that she was let go. I mean, obviously, that's a, you know, group uh, legal situation. It's really none of our business or concern. I mean, as fans will always love and appreciate Spinderella, but I'm not going to go in on why her part was not fully, fully realized in the biopic because I have no idea why. You know, for all we knew, maybe Spinderella herself did not want to fully appear initially. We don't know. Um, but it, what I am saying is it would have been nice to see more of her um, and to get more of her take and more of her persona and personality in the film. Okay. All right. So getting back to the film and what was revealed, um, for me, it was interesting to see how the ladies Salt and Peppa evolved. They were both at the beginning of the film, community college students in Queens. Um, Personality-wise, Peppa is the sassy, fun, spontaneous one. Um, you know, Salt is the careful, soft-spoken, calm one. Um, and so I wondered how can these ladies, how were they able to manage being in a group together within an industry known for beefs, scandals, and breakups? Um, and they just really didn't miss a beat for years and years and years of recording, dancing, touring, and, you know, all of that. Um, so Salt says to Peppa at one point during the film that she has always catered to Peppa. She has always made sure Peppa was good. And she put Peppa or Peppa's needs before her own. Um, so you can kind of tell that Salt really had a strong um, nurturing side, that she really cared about Peppa, that she often tried to look out for the both of them and think for the both of them and make decisions for both of them because she worried about Peppa. Um, but at the same time, she kept her own personal ordeals and problems to herself. So I thought that was very interesting, and I'll talk more about that. So as I mentioned, the film um, depicts that the two of them were um, working at a telemarketing job at Sears, along with future comedian Martin Lawrence and future hip-hop stars Kid and Play. And, you know, Kid and Play would go on to star in their own movies, House Party, House Party 2. Their hip-hop uh, music was also very fun, very danceable. They had the trademark um, asymmetrical, uh, what is it, the haircuts with the lines cut in their eyebrows and on the side. You know, they were just real quirky and real interesting. They wore the colorful baggy pants and they were always dancing. And it was just really interesting that they are, to me, very similar to salt and Peppa. They're just, you know, the male group. Um, but anyway, I would have to go back and watch it again to... Um, to really kind of see this more closely, but it seemed like Herbie Azer, Salt's boyfriend, was also managing Kid and Play's hip hop act at the time. There seemed to be some, you know, connection business wise with them. Herbie seemed to really care about, you know, how Kid and Play were doing. And it seemed like Kid and Play did some shows with Salt and Peppa early on. So Herbie had an ever expanding hip hop music business. And it makes me think about people like, you know, Russell Simmons, Sean Diddy Combs, those young, hungry music moguls who, you know, started off small with a few acts and then really kind of grew and grew and grew. Um, 
But Herbie's business, according to the film, he was growing so much that he attracted some jealousy and attention from other would-be music business uh, moguls or managers. Um, because when Salt and Peppa was performing at a club, you know, at the beginning of their career, Herbie was approached by an unsavory pimp-like character named Sweet Tooth, who wanted to manage, help manage Salt and Peppa. And by the way, this character was played by Mandela Van Peoples, a young actor who is actually the son of the director of this film, Mario Van Peoples. I had seen Mandela in photos um, with his siblings. You know, whenever you see Mario Van Peoples with in his family photos, his kids are all very striking, beautiful. They look just like him. And I just remember seeing Mandela Van Peoples in some films. And I knew uh, from reading that he was an actor. Um, so I couldn't believe when I saw him playing this gangster sweet tooth character because this dude was truly hood. I mean, he had the whole slick talk. He was wearing the, the, the whole pimp outfit, the long coat, the slick suit. I think he had a gold tooth. You know, he had on the, the top hat. And I mean, he really looked like he was about that pimp life. So this was Mario Van Peoples playing Sweet Tooth. And Sweet Tooth really roughed up Herbie Azer in the film. Um, and I'll talk more about that. But I really believe that Mandela Van Peoples was the breakout star of this biopic along with, of course, the two actresses who played Salt and Peppa, and they are Gigi Towson and Layla Odom. I didn't see a whole lot of the actress who played Spinderella, um, and her name is Monique Paul, but of course that's not her fault. Um, so I really can't comment on her performance other than to just say, hey, we really missed seeing Spinderella. Like, could we please get the DJ? Could we see her cut, mix and scratch? Can we see her give a hey, ho, or, you know, some hyping up on stage while they were performing? Could we see her rehearsing with them? Could we see her talking, laughing, or even arguing with them? Like we got no sense of Spinderella's personality or her true contribution to this group during the film. It's really, really, really a shame. Um, so anyway, there is a scene in the film when two salt and pepper lookalikes try to perform as salt and pepper in a club. They are outed by Herbie Azer, that's their manager and also Salt's boyfriend, when he announces to the crowd that they are imposters. So the pimp, gangster sweet tooth, played by Mandela Van Peoples, hired the female imposters so that he could make money off of them from their show. In real life, it turns out the two young women who played the salt and pepper imposters are in fact Salt's daughter, Corinne, and Peppa's daughter, Egypt. Um, and Peppa's daughter auditioned for the role to play her mother in the film, but according to Yahoo Entertainment, she did not get the part. Um, okay. So now just talking a little bit more about what's revealed about Salt, um, you know, her relationship, what was going on with Peppa in the film. So Salt was depicted in the film as being very shy and very dependent on her boyfriend manager, Herbie Azer. And she was not as outspoken or as bold as Peppa. And that's probably an understatement because Peppa has a very... Um, I would say very outgoing, um, sassy, um, 
um, bubbly, energetic personality. She's, you know, external, whereas Salt was very internal. Um, and so it wasn't until a friend of Peppa's told her that she and Salt were getting a bum deal in terms of the money they received from their management and record company that the duo began to look at their worth as being greater than how they were treated. Although Salt and Peppa was initially the vision of Herbie Azar, the ladies wised up and started to take their careers into their own hands. So they renegotiated their record contract and management deal. And I was really, you know, when I saw that, I was like, yay for the ladies, ladies empowerment, because they were up under Herbie Azar and half of the time he was off, you know, doing his own thing and not even paying attention to the group as much as he did when they first started. Once he started making money, you know, his roving eye turned into something, something else. And I'll talk more about that. Um, okay. So the artist Cheryl Salt James and Sandra Peppa Denton could not have been more opposite according to the film. And of course, any fan, anyone could see that even when you see them in interviews and when you saw them on their reality shows, you know, Salt is just smiling and being very mild and Peppa is just, you know, she's got on her burgundy wig or her fiery red blondish wig and she's, you know, talking, speaking her mind. And, you know, she's got the nails and all the makeup and, you know, she's fabulous, but she's just, you know, different from salt. They're, they're almost, you know, polar opposites. Um, but anyway, um, salt seemed to hold all of her stress inwards. And what I mean by that is the film shows a really awful eating disorder that salt was battling with, and it was bulimia. Um, and she also felt a heavy spiritual conflict um, with being in such close relationship or friendship with Peppa and also continu continuing to rap after turning her life over to Christ. Now, I can see what that turmoil would be. I mean, suddenly you're giving your life over to Christ, not suddenly, but you're turning over a new leaf, you're gaining spiritual wisdom. And then, you know, the next Friday you have to go on stage with you know, your, your, your little short spandex shorts singing, push it, push it. So I don't know if it's on uh, WeTV, but uh, Peppa's daughter Egypt has been appearing in reality TV. Um, and so I'm also not sure whether or not uh, Peppa has any other children outside of the son she had from the pre previous relationship and her daughter, Egypt, with Tretch. Okay, so, you know, hip hop was clearly a man's world, and that's something that the biopic definitely shows us. Um, but I think it's great that Salt and Peppa were determined to navigate it and keep their feminine power in the process. The biopic shows the women breaking up, making up, breaking up. It just seemed like they couldn't stay away from the legacy that they built. And I'm certainly glad that they didn't end it a long, 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 long time ago, because we can still witness how they're being honored today and how their lives are being recorded um, in terms of hip hop history. So we see the impact um, the salt and pepper have on the culture by the end of the film, 
when the ladies are honored at the VH1 Hip Hop Honors Awards, and I believe this was in year 2016. And so I really, what I really love about this scene is when the scene transitions from the actors, and that would be uh, from Gigi Townsend and Layla Odom performing as Salt and Pepper, and then in a flash you see the actual Salt and Pepper rapping and performing and dancing like they used to. And it was really kind of nostalgic and kind of emotional to see these ladies up there just doing their thing after all of these years. You know, they're in their 50s and still fly. Okay, so as I mentioned, I wondered again, where was Spinderella? But, but you know, looking up some of the articles that went out this, this week, it wasn't very clear why she was fully left out. We do know that this biopic was short. It's not like it was, you know, a whole full, full, full documentary. Um, There's certainly things that we would love to see and know more about uh, of the three ladies, but they just didn't show that. So it's unfortunate. Okay, well, I hope that you will sound off and give me your comments about this biopic if you watched it. Um, you can also tweet me at NerdocityPod1 on Twitter and tell me what you think. And certainly follow my podcast on Instagram at Nerdocity Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. If you've been enjoying Nerdocity Podcast hosted by Duewa Frazier, please consider giving a donation in support of this podcast that features news on culture, books, education, entertainment commentary, and more. Please visit anchor.fm slash Duewa Frazier slash support or send your donation to paypal.me slash Duewa Frazier. Thanks again for listening.